Please pray with me. Father, we come before you this morning confessing our need, our sin. We ask that you'd be near us and forgive us. And God, we, we pray together this morning as your people. We pray for our community, reeling over such an abhorrent act this past week, what appears to be such hateful racism and misguided nationalism. My heart aches for these men who are shot, for their families, for their friends. God, even uh, for the friends who are sitting here this morning who work so closely with them at Garmin. Um, neighbors as well. God, we just we pray as, um, as we grieve that you would be near the hurting. And God, as much as we, as we hurt for these men, it's not just them we cry out for. We cry out for the many in our city and nation who not only feel unwelcome but afraid simply because they look differently than me or speak with a different accent or follow different customs. God, I am angry that we live in a world with such hate. How does such evil live within us? God, let us, your people, condemn racism and hatred. Let us speak out against violence and xenophobia and misguided nationalism. And would you forgive us for our complicity in these things? Show us where this evil still resides in our hearts. And would you instead, Father, would you let us stand with the innocent? Let us identify with the marginalized. Let us be counted among the hurting. May your people, and I mean us in this room, God, me, God, let us stand with those we push aside. And let us take our place with them, no matter what it costs us. For Jesus, we know that's your story. That's what you did, and you did it for us. And so help us pursue all people, protect all people, love all people. Help us love who the world ignores. Let your church be different. It's the same everywhere else, division and pain, and we're sick of it. Let us be different. And forgive us when we fail. And ultimately, Lord Jesus, would you please fix this world and begin in us. And even as we look at your word this morning, we ask you to do that work, even when it hurts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Again, good morning. Uh, welcome to the Lathe Campus of, of Christ Community. My, my name is Nathan. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. It's a privilege to be able to gather together to proclaim God's word together here in this, this place. Uh, we've been studying Matthew for quite some time, uh, and we're going to jump back in uh, right in kind of the thick of, of Jesus's, really some of his very final, final words. But let me, let me start off, though, by, by telling you about one of the, the I mean, it's a small thing, it's not even a big deal, but one of these like regrets that I still carry with me. Uh, it, it's the, the day that my, my precious little Corolla died. I love that car. I mean, this car, like, it was, it was family for me. Uh, I mean, truly, truly it was. We had it for 11 years, uh, 213,000 uh, miles. We named it Samwise Gamgee um, after the faithful little hobbit in Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, it's weird. I know. But we loved it. I mean, it was a great car uh, until, you know, until it wasn't anymore. Um, and and what, what happened was I, I had been out of town for several days and uh, had driven about 200 miles to, to get home. And everything was, was fine, just fine. Um, and right at the end of that trip, the check oil light came on. I'm like, you know, it's happened before. Not a big deal. I, I don't put this stuff off. I'm going to get on, on it as, as soon as I can. It's, you know, it's fine. It's, I'll, I'll do that. 
But Kelly had just left for out of town. Her, her grandmother had passed away, and she was going back home. We hadn't even seen each other. So I was, I was with the kids, and I'm thinking, I only have a few miles to drive tomorrow. That's it. And then I'll be able to, to take care of it. And so the next day, we're, we're out. I mean, it's just a few hours and a few miles later. Um, and we're, we're driving. It's night. Kids are in the back seat. Um, Kelly's out of town. Um, and I, I see that, that dashboard light just sort of, you know, like just taunting me a little bit. Um, but the, nah, it's, it's fine. Until it started making these noises. And, and you know, I've been, a, I've been with, through a lot with Sam. Um, and he's never made these noises before. And, and then the car starts like shuddering and, and shaking. And it's like, at, at that, like, we're on K10, by the way. So the kids are panicking in the backseat. I'm panicking in the front. Like, this is, this is how it ends, right? Um, and, and, and so at that point, like the dashboard light, like now it's screaming at me right? Like, I can, I can hear it. It's like yelling at me, like, judgment day is coming. Here it comes, right? And so we, you know, we get off to the side, and, you know, we are able to exit just enough to kind of roll to the top of Renner Road and back down into the family leisure parking lot where Samwise died. That was the end, right there. <sighs> I missed that car. I only had a few miles to drive, Right? Like, it shouldn't have been that, that big of a deal. But that, that stupid light was trying to tell me that somewhere on that return journey home the, the previous day, all of the oil had leaked out of my car. And so by this point, it was absolutely, totally too late. And I, I know that this is a silly comparison, okay? But you'll get it. Um, humans have gauges too, don't we? Like, like, I mean, they don't light up or, you know, make any weird noises, but like we have these, these outward signs of inward realities, right? I mean, are you, are you with me? Like we have things that are outside of us, around us, that we're a part of that, that reveal what's going on inside, right? That, that tell us something, something about us. And, and Jesus points to one of them right here. One, one of the clearest gauges in your life and mine one of the clearest signs of a Christian is they love who the world ignores. Christians, followers of Jesus, love who the world ignores. Now, that doesn't make someone a Christian, just as the check oil light didn't make my car fall apart, but it's a sign, and it's one of the clearest. And the one who doesn't, I've got to warn you, like what, what Jesus says to Jesus, he takes it so personally when we don't, that if you don't love who the world ignores, basically Jesus says you can go to hell. And I'm not, like, I'm not exaggerating that. Like that's, we're going to read it in a second. You're going to, like it's there. In fact, this is, these are some of the most, uh, the clearest teachings, some of them on uh, hell in the entire Bible, and they're straight out of Jesus's mouth. And the gauge isn't whether or not you go to church. It's not whether or not you lived, lived a decent life or, or prayed a certain prayer. And, and it, it's, nor is the, the gauge just loving the people who look like you or, or share the same national identity as you or speak the same language as you, you know, those who are super, super easy to love. No, it's, it's loving who the world ignores. And if we ignore that warning light, 
Well, don't take my word for it. Um, Let me read it straight from Jesus' mouth here. Um, Our our scripture uh, this morning is Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Now, we've been been studying Matthew, right, a long time. And and these last three weeks, we've been in the, the, this is the fourth week, in the Olivet Discourse. It's Jesus' last sort of long teaching to his disciples, largely about the end of the world, being ready for when he comes. And this, this is how he ends that. Verse 31, chapter 25. Jesus says, When the Son of Man, that's Jesus, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Too bad for the goats. Then the king will will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? And feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? When did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so we were in Matthew, right? And just to even locate it, we're getting closer and closer to Jesus' death. In fact, this is probably Tuesday night. The Last Supper's on Thursday, crucifixion on Friday, and the resurrection on on Sunday. So we're, we're kind of in this, this, this space, getting closer and closer and closer. And as we walk through this text, we're going to see three things. I mean, the emphasis is probably clear. Hopefully you picked up on some of the repetition, right? Over and over again. Jesus makes it clear what he's really getting at. But there's three, three ways in which we're going to break this down. First of all, judgment is coming. Second, when it does, a rescued heart is a compassionate heart. And third, a calloused heart is a doomed heart. But the big takeaway is clear. Followers of Jesus love who the world ignores. First, the warning. Judgment is coming. Now, I know we don't like to think about it, right? It's probably not what you got out of bed excited to hear about at church today. We're not particularly enthused about the doctrine of hell. Um, But the reality is we just can't ignore it. We don't have to like what Jesus says. If he rose from the dead, it really doesn't matter what we think of his words, right? Like if he actually was dead and came, came alive again, whatever he says, we 
we have to take seriously. Anybody who defeats the grave, right? And so we have to listen. And one of the, the, the biggest takeaway in these verses, it's not that, that sheep go to heaven and goats go to hell. Okay, if that's kind of what you're wondering, if that's how you're processing this, kids. Um, I love how it kind of reminds me of Pokemon, which kind of feels about right, actually, um, in some ways. Um, you'll never visit a petting zoo the same way, right? Um, yay sheep and boo goats. Uh, well, what's going on, right? What's actually happening? Well, remember that in this, like if you've been with us throughout this section of teaching, Jesus has given us metaphor after metaphor, story after story, these parables, all trying to describe, put words to what the, what the kingdom of God is, is like and when it comes, what, what it's going to be like. And so he's, he's grabbing at all these different things. There's no vendetta against goats, okay? Uh, it's an example for, for culturally, okay, back then, I had to, you know, look some of this up. I don't know exactly about first century uh, farming methods or shepherding methods, but essentially what would happen, as I read, was that, that sheep and goats, they'd often graze together, right? They'd, you know, do whatever they do during the day. Um, I picture them frolicking for some reason. Um, they would do that, and then the shepherd would, would often, especially when it was cooler at night, would separate the sheep from the goats, because sheep have all this wool, and they don't have to be huddled so closely together to keep warm, and goats, goats do. They're, they're not quite as sort of robust in what they're wearing, right? And so they have to be, you know, gathered a little bit, a little bit closer, in Jesus' audience, they would have known this, right? It would have been normal for them. But the reality is none of that is the point anyway, right? The, the point is a day is coming when Jesus will separate all people. Not based on all the external uh, divisions that you and I use. I mean, we separate people all the time. Now, we were experts at it, you know, of who's in, who's not, right? Who's with me and who isn't. We have all kinds of these external divisions that's, that's not what Jesus is getting at. In fact, he says very clearly, right? It's, it's people from all nations. It's all kinds of people gathered together. And as he separates, some will go to heaven and some will go to hell. And I don't like talking about it any more than you do, right? I didn't pick this text. It's read Matthew. It was the next one. But no matter how much sort of this rubs us wrong sort of culturally, right, in our, in our place and time and how much we hate the idea of, of a good God sending people to hell. And, and I, I get that. We, we all struggle with that. And frankly, we should to some extent. But regardless, I'm, I'm fairly confident of two things here. Uh, regardless, whether or not you're a Christian, uh, whether you believe in a place of, of, of judgment like this or not, or God or Jesus or any of that, I think, I think all of us sort of come to this with sort of two assumptions. One, um, we all live as if there is a judge. Like, no matter what you believe, like, you, you live as if your actions matter. Like, if they count for something outside of yourself, right? Like, there's, there's either somebody to please or to disappoint. We all, we all live as if there's a, a judge around us. And second, that judge, if he's going to be any good at all, has to do something about evil. He has to. I mean, even Forgive me for this, but even Manny from uh, Modern Family uh, knows this. Look at that. It's a perfect shot. And I hit that with a bent club. So you're not worried about getting in trouble? You know, with God? Oh, I think he's got bigger things on his plate. So you're not worried about hell? Let me let you in on a little secret, kid. There is no hell. Seriously? No hell? That's fantastic! So everyone just goes to heaven? Yep. End of story. Even bad people? 
Yeah, they're, they're, they're in another section. See, they got this thing figured out. Can I hit this? You distracted me. I didn't say anything. I could hear you thinking. I'm thinking about this heaven of yours that's full of bad people. Not full, the tiniest fraction. They're walled in. What if they break out? They're surrounded by a lake of fire. There are fiery lakes in heaven? This is turning into hell. Tell me about it. I just don't understand this bad section of heaven. What if they send you to the wrong place? They make mistakes with paperwork sometimes. I was put in a girl's health class last year and had to watch a very disturbing movie. Calm down. Instead of thinking all morning about what heaven's going to look like, what it's not going to look like, who's where, if there even is a heaven, why don't we just concentrate on this beautiful, carefree day that's in front of us? I'd rather concentrate on something you just said. There might not even be a heaven. I don't know. You seem pretty sure of yourself this morning. So what happens after you die? There's just nothing? Look. You're focusing too much on one little thing that I said. It was just a hunch, okay? A hunch? I'm skipping church based on a hunch? <gasps> all right, all right, don't freak out on me here, kid. They're playing pretty fast and loose with my soul. Listen, I want you to forget everything that I said, okay? Some things can be forgotten, Jay. You're playing pretty fast and loose with my soul. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? It's silly. And yet, like, even there we see, like, you know, the more you think about it, yeah, we all... We all live as if there's a judge, if there's, as if there's something in our lives and our decisions that actually matters, that it, it counts for something, whether you're a nice person or a mean person. We all live that way, every one of us. And we know that if there's, if there's a good God, he has to do something about evil. We all live as if there's a judge. Um, I mean, if there's, if there's no one to please or disappoint, why does anything matter at all, right? In fact, there's a, there's a play uh, After the Fall by Arthur Miller. It's an older play. Um, it, it's most likely at least somewhat about, I mean, you know, literary critics say about his, his marriage and then divorce and then the tragic death of his ex-wife, Marilyn Monroe. So that's kind of the backdrop, right? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a sad and, you know, sordid story. And at one point, the character Quentin kind of has this, this moment uh, with, with the audience uh, where he just sort of says that Basically, life is meaningless, and here's how he gets there. Let me, let me read what he says. He says, For many years, I looked at life like a case at law. It was a series of proofs. When you're young, you prove how brave you are or smart. Then, what a good lover. Then, a good father. Finally, how wise or powerful or whatever. And we all do that, right? We all, we're, we're all trying to prove ourselves to somebody, right? And he continues. But underlying it all, I see now there was a presumption that one moved on an upward path towards some elevation where I would be justified or even condemned, a verdict anyway. I think now that my disaster really began when I looked up one day and the bench was empty, no judge in sight. And all that remained was the endless argument with oneself, this pointless litigation of existence before an empty bench, which of course is another way of saying despair. I mean, do you follow what he's saying? We're all living for some judge. And if, if he's not there, right, then life, life has no meaning. And every one of us lives as if our choices actually count for something. Otherwise, we're all just taking a test that'll never be graded, which sounds kind of great at first, like Manny's response, like, ooh, no hell, nice. 
And you think about it, I'm like, well, what's the point of taking the test? Like, why even bother? It leads to nihilism and despair. It's infuriating. Which really leads to the second thing here. The only way that that judge can be good is if he condemns evil. Um, If he sits back as we humans betray and murder one another, if he's okay with child abuse, um, with, with rape, trafficking, I mean, if he just looks the other way, then he is more evil than the perpetrators themselves. I mean, that's um, the problem for, I think, for many of us. My problem when, it think, when I come to thinking about hell and how quickly I want to dismiss that, I don't want to think about it, and be like, ah, we don't still believe that, do we? Like, like for me, I know, like a big part of my problem is that we don't actually believe there's real evil out there that needs to be judged, Right? I mean, everybody we know is nice enough. I mean, they're okay. I mean, yeah, we have some problems. But, I mean, as, as a, I mean, generally speaking, like, I live in pristine suburbia, right? It's kind of a charmed life. And everybody at least pretends to be nice most of the time. And, and, and I, I live fairly, fairly insulated where it's, it becomes really, really hard to imagine anything actually being worth judging, right? And then we have a, you know, a hate crime just a few miles from here. And, and even, even that, we run to trying to explain it, right? We want to figure out how, how, you know, what was wrong with that individual and, and think through all the things that led up to that. Not saying that we should minimize that, but we forget that that same evil lives inside me. That I'm capable of terrible things. That, that if you've, again, I, I, I view the world for my safe suburban life. But if you grew up in the ghetto, surrounded by violence and the oppressive sense that your life is disposable, or if you live in South Sudan where to become a Christian is to sign your own death certificate, it's to immediately embrace intense, violent persecution against you. Or if you live in in Rwanda where we're we're partnered as a church, right, where, like, if you witness the, the genocide of a million people in your lifetime, You've seen evil. And you know that if God, if there is a God and if he's going to be any good, he, he had better, right? He'd better do something about it. That if he sits back, then I don't want anything to do with him. And yes, the doctrine of hell is an ugly one. You don't have to like it, frankly. You probably shouldn't like it. I mean, it ought to break us to tears and motivate us to share Jesus with anyone and everyone because he, he's made a way through for us. Like, there's hope that that we can avoid it. We don't have to go there. You don't have to like it, but judgment is absolutely necessary if you want a God who's any good at all. He's got to do something about it. And the reality is, and this is where it gets so tricky, like, like, well, well, I guess maybe the really bad people, who are they? Where do you find them? Like, we, we all know that whatever evil is within those folks who have caused them to do such terrible things. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, there's a seed of all of that somewhere in here. You can't just separate it out because evil cuts through my heart as well. We're all guilty. We hurt and we ignore and we act selfishly, like maybe what, like 98% of the time? We've declared war on the God who made us. And it is only by his grace that we can be rescued. It's only out of his, his mercy and compassion that you, you and I can be spared from the judgment that is coming.
And if that describes you then, if you, you know because of what Christ has done and you've you placed your trust in him and you know that, that there is no wrath left for you, that all you have from God coming is grace and forgiveness, love, if that describes you, then it makes sense where Jesus goes next, right? A rescued heart is a compassionate heart. Like if, if you've been rescued, if you've experienced compassion, if we've been loved, what will we do with the love we've been given? Because that's, that's really the crux of this passage. I mean, we have to talk about hell and the sheep and the goats because it's, it's such a, a difficult thing for us in our, in our cultural context. But really what Jesus is getting at are the kinds of people that you'll find. I mean, did you notice the repetition here, right? The emphasis is, is, is obvious. Who are the ones who have been rescued? Verse 35. It's not a mystery, right? He tells us. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we, you know, do those things? And Jesus repeats all of it for emphasis. He doesn't want us to miss it. In verse 40, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now listen again, these things don't, they don't earn our salvation, they don't make you a Christian, but it's a gauge. It's an outward sign of an inward reality that if you've been rescued, if you've encountered his love and compassion, like if, if you've received from Jesus, you will be compassionate to others. Like, it's not even, a, a, like, a question. And Jesus, like, if you've, like, if I've rescued you if, you, if you know what it's like to be forgiven and have your sins wiped away and to have your, your future, a good, whole future laid out for you, if that, like, he doesn't have a category for us to argue with it. Like, you will feed the hungry, he says. You will welcome strangers. You will care for the hurting. You will serve the oppressed and the marginalized. You will actually love who the world ignores. And specifically, right, if you understand the context here, what Jesus is saying, he's talking specifically about the, the family of believers. Like, this is what the church ought to look like. This is how we ought to interact with one another and, and Christians across the, the world and other places, right? That, that he says to these, my brothers, it's us. That there ought to be something different about this community. That the way we treat other Christians, the way you view his bride, the church, it's a light revealing what's in your soul. And while compassion begins with the family, I mean, you ought to gush out everywhere to everyone, right? That's the light on the dashboard. Which is so interesting, right? Because you and I, I'm guessing, would have picked some other light to go off, right? I mean, particularly in our context, because we live, you know, Fairly easy, you know, not completely, but comparatively easy, simple, you know, charmed lives, right? So we probably would have picked something else. But like Jesus, I mean, think about it. Like he doesn't say in this list of who gets in, he doesn't say you prayed a prayer, you went to church, you had a great quiet time and attended every Bible study, you voted the right way, kept most of the rules. You were a decent person. Good for you. But what did you do for those whom the world ignores? What did you do? And don't, don't miss it. When we do 
obey, when we love the discarded, you know, the kid who's always made fun of at school, the, the awkward coworker, the person who doesn't speak your language or look anything like you, the people who, apart from Jesus, like if you're honest, the people who, apart from Jesus, you may want nothing to do with, what we do for them, Jesus takes it personally, and we do it for him. And the hardest part here is that the opposite is also true. Isn't it? Jesus takes it personally. Whatever we don't do for them, we don't do for him. And a calloused heart is a doomed heart. And Jesus says you can go to hell. I mean, listen, really, if you're, if you're following what Jesus is saying here, and I'm not trying to exaggerate it or, you know... <laughs> not trying to pile it on. Like, if you just read what Jesus says, like, you can probably get it pretty easily, can't you? It's not a real mystery here. And the reality is, if you think you've been called to Jesus, but that you haven't been called to love those whom the world ignores, you're dead wrong. It just doesn't work. Again, Jesus doesn't doesn't have a category for that. Let me look, look what he says in, in verse 41, how he explains it. He said, again, Jesus is speaking. He says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we? And again, Jesus repeats all of it for emphasis. Verse 45, then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And people, this frightens me. I mean, honestly, if you're like, if you hear these words and you're not scared at least a little bit, you're probably not listening. Or you're just so callous that you just don't care anymore. Like, th- these, are, these are scary words that Jesus says. And I, I mean, again, I'm, if I'm honest, I live a pretty charmed, insulated life, right? Things are just generally fine with me, and the people around me, are, it's all pretty much fine. And I prefer, I prefer to turn my back on others. It's easier. Like, I'd rather just not watch the news, right? I'd rather just not know those stories. I'd rather not drive through those neighborhoods. I'd rather avoid having to see it because it's so much easier just to turn my back. Ignorance is bliss, and walk away, and the gauge is flashing on the dashboard. Will we listen before it's too late? Will we love who the world ignores? What will we do with all this love we've been given? The stakes are just too high here. You can't miss it, right? We can't just ignore it. So how how do we do this? I think there are three things here. And we're kind of going to move backward through the text. Because um, first, first off, if, if a calloused heart is a doomed heart, we've got to be aware of our calluses. To just even admit that we're blind and we don't even know it. But there's just so much that we don't see, don't know about, don't want to think about, that we want to avoid, that I am so conditioned by my culture by my politics, by my suburban life, by the color of my skin. I'm, I'm conditioned by my education and my income and the, the place that I live and the time period. Like, we, like 
We just don't see everything, right? And yet we think, we think somehow that we do. When we recently watched uh, the Oscar-nominated um, Florence Foster Jenkins. I don't know, anybody see this one? Um, it, it is both uh, tremendously funny and horribly tragic, like all at the same time. Um, it, it's, it's about, it's a true story, uh, based on this woman in the 1940s who's exceptionally rich. I mean, just incredibly. And so as a result, she lives a fairly, you know, insulated life, only has to hang out with the people that she wants to hang out with. And, you know, it's v- fairly, fairly closed and sort of her, her high society uh, place in, in life. Um, and she's also, and this is really kind of the plot of the movie, she's also absolutely convinced that she's one of the world's great opera singers. She isn't. Um, and I, I mean, like, it's not that she's not good. She's horrific. I mean, it, painful. Absolutely. You can actually, like, you can go to YouTube later on and just type in her name, you know, actual recording. Like, she has recordings out there that you can listen to and just, I mean, you'll enjoy that later, seriously. Um, It's atrocious, okay? Uh, But here's the thing. She has no idea. Like, for decades of her life, no idea. She's convinced she's amazing, and everybody tells her so. Like, Like, in fact, she even, like, hosts concerts, Her husband hires people to attend, to applaud and cheer. He bribes the reviewers of New York newspapers to say how awesome and wonderful she is. She even performs in Carnegie Hall in front of 3,000 people. This really happened, like back in the 40s. And it it got me thinking, because yes, I mean, you can see both the humor, because it's, I mean, it is hilarious. Golly, it's hard to imagine things much sadder than that too, right? Right? To live that much of a, of a closed-off life that you can't hear other opinions around you? I mean, frankly, it got me thinking about how clueless we can be. How we surround ourselves with people who agree with us, don't we? Who see the world the same as us, who look like us and never challenge us. I mean, think about it. Like we, some of us will, will only listen to our, our particular news outlets, right? And that's it, because they already agree with you, right? And they pat you on the back and make you feel good about yourself, right? Or, or we'll, only, we'll only talk to certain people who, about certain subjects because you know what you, the answers you're going to get. You only look at so, some, so many different people's Facebook pages because you, you're looking for the same thing, right? And we, we do this like we just live in these doom loops where everybody pats each other on the back. But never, nobody ever has to challenge anyone or, or be stretched by anything. We know that the topics that are off limits with certain people and we just avoid them. And we end up like her, just completely oblivious and laughed at. So the problem is that the, the stakes, I mean, the stakes of missing this are just too high. And so we end up, we end up assuming that everybody's life experience is the same as ours. That everyone has the same opportunities as I do, right? Because everybody I know does. Everybody I talk to. Or has the same privileges as me. And our voice ends up sounding, we think, as good in our head as it does to everyone else. But how tragic is that? Because it ends up making us callous towards anyone who's different. And, and, and so then when that happens, we're like we offer these, these simplistic solutions, right, to, to fix really complex problems. Or we, we just grow so fatigued by so much need that we shut down. We kind of figure, well, I can't fix every problem, so I'm just going to do nothing, right? I can't feed every hungry mouth, so I'm just going to feed my own, right? That's what we do. And really, even as we, as we look here, I mean, one of the biggest calluses that we have today is toward the local church. 
But Jesus, is ex- he's talking explicitly about the family of faith, that we ought to be different. And yet it's so easy to treat the bride of Christ like a social club, right? We come to impress one another, to make sure we have the best ideas, or, or, or we treat it as, just as a hobby. Like, it's just, what else am I going to do on Sunday morning? I know people there. and It's meant to be this, this family serving one another, sacrificing deeply for each other, welcoming everyone and anyone, reaching out beyond these walls. I mean, even, even just ask yourself, I hate this question, you're going you're gonna to love it. Um, like, who don't you want to see walk through these doors? I mean, just think about that. Like, who would just make you uncomfortable? I mean, yeah, we're for everybody, but come on, not too many of those people. Or what, what bumper stickers, like, would you just be horrified to see in our parking lot and be like, ah, I don't think I want to go to that church. That can't be us. That can't be the church. Your church needs you, and you need the church to help expose those calluses. We need people who aren't like us to stretch us, who see the world differently than we do, who have had different experiences. And are we living these things out with one another here? Know your calluses, challenge them, and repent. All right, second. I know, deep breath, we're getting there, okay? Promise. But it's gonna get worse before it gets better, as usual. I tried to be a little, like, more flowery with the second one, like, you know, because I'm a, I'm a preacher, and we like to make things, um, whatever. Um, and the reality is the safest thing here is just do what Jesus tells you. Like, that's, like, it doesn't have to be anything fancy or special. Like, just, like, if we just did that, like, just do, do what he tells you. Sometimes I need to stop thinking about it. Stop praying about it. I mean, this is like, this is what we Christians do, right? We're so good at this. Like, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to memorize this verse, Right? We'll memorize this passage. Let's get, we'll get a Bible study together. We'll talk about these words. Like when at, at some point, Jesus just expects us to do it, to actually obey what he says. It's not that hard to understand. Are we going to do it? I mean, just imagine with me, though. Like, what if, what if my first thought when I see someone, a new neighbor or maybe a classmate at school, right, um, or, or you're driving through the city or you're, you're, you're watching on the news, what if our first thought wasn't about race or language that they speak. It wasn't about who they voted for, what their sexual history was, how much, how much money they make or how educated or attractive they are, not what nation they're from or whether or not they're here legally. What if our first thought was, could this be my brother or sister? Family. And if, if not, could they become Family. Could, could they come here and be family with us? Yeah, but Nathan, they might be a terrorist. They might be a tax drain. They might change my preferences of what this culture looks like or make me uncomfortable. Nathan, I just don't really like those people. Well, maybe. Maybe they're family or future family. And family changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, nothing's, nothing's the same in the context of family. I mean, if it, if it were your, your literal brother who's hungry, like, would you even think about whether or not you should share? Like, if they're truly hungry, like, you wouldn't even consider it. Like, what if, 
What if it was your, your child, your actual child, stuck in a broken educational system or justice system? Would you really wonder why all the fuss about whose life matters? What if, what if it was your sister who's now at risk of being deported? If it was your family or, or potential family that needs a job or, or shelter from violence, who, who lost everything for Jesus or, or lives in constant danger someplace around the globe, Jesus takes it personally. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we just do anything anyone wants all the time. Of course not. Okay? Or that we ignore helpful boundaries. No, I mean, saying, saying yes isn't always loving, right? Of course not. It's not always loving. And, and our naive attempts to help can sometimes cause more harm than good. I know that. But imagine if the church thought this way. This is my family. Or could be. For everyone. Like, no exceptions. What effect would that have in Olathe? Or in our country, in our world? Friend, who have you ignored? Who have you disregarded? I mean, our world discards people all the time. Like, we get, we get kind of annoyed with Jesus separating out, separating out the sheep and, and the goats. Like, we don't, we don't like that, but think about it. Like, we divide over everything everywhere. Like, we have all of these lists of who's in, who's out, who I want to be with, who I don't. They're everywhere for us, aren't they? Our world discards people all the time. What if the church actually did what Jesus said? Last thing. This is where there's a little bit of hope, right? Because we have to remember the compassionate one. It's where we started. We don't muster up strength on our own to do this. We don't just try really hard to be good enough. We don't somehow fake the love, right? It's, it has to come from the compassionate one who's rescued us. Because we don't, we don't earn anything from living this way. It's not like we're getting bonus points with Jesus or something like that. But, but our, our compassion towards others reveals whether or not we've actually met the compassionate lover of our souls. For yes, the judge is coming and he expects us to obey but the unique thing about this judge is that he's already paid the debt. All of it for those who trust in him. I mean, what judge does that? But that he's actually come to this world. He, he set aside the, the privileges of being God, right? On the throne, he, he comes to this earth to enter into our pain and our hardship. We are the broken and the impoverished because of sin, oppressed by our own self-centeredness. And we are the hungry and thirsty whom he satisfies with himself. You and I, because of our sin, we're the, we're the naked that he clothes with his righteousness. We are the sick that he restores through his death, the imprisoned he has delivered through his resurrection. Having nothing on our own, he has given us everything. And because of him, we have hope. We, we have forgiveness. We can have joy. We can, can have meaning in our lives. He became one of us to come and get us. And as we receive from him, and as we learn to love the ultimate one whom the world ignores, I mean, nobody's more ignored than Jesus. But as we receive that love from him, we learn to love. We learn generosity, sacrifice, patience, forgiveness, humility, grace. Because that's what we've been given.
And so let me ask, what will you do with the love you've received? Let's pray. God, help us. God, I pray that you would help us to see what we can't see on our own. Help us to to understand those places where the calluses are or are growing or at risk of growing. God, would you help us through your church do the hard work of pulling off those calluses? Even though with that there's so much pain. God, would you forgive us? Help us to see what you see and to love how you love. And Lord Jesus, I'm just so grateful that you've done all of this for us. Um, That you're not asking us to do anything that you haven't already done in the ways in which you've reached us. God, I pray that we would take your love um, and enjoy it, celebrate it, but also pass it along to anyone and everyone. But you're going to have to do that work in us, we pray.